I am a rule follower. Maybe because my parents put their put the fear of their wrath in me, or maybe it's just because I'm a Capricorn. But my short-lived career as a volunteer firefighter remind me to tell you the story about the time I worked for Seize Candy for a day. I learned a valuable lesson about rules during hazmat training. The instructor, as I recall, was an entertaining guy, but he got very serious when he told us there was one thing we should always carry in our back pocket. I thought for sure he was going to suggest a piece of personal protective gear, but it was actually our resignation. If someone, including the fire chief, told us to do something not just dangerous, we were firefighters after all, but deadly, we needed to be prepared to resign on the spot. This advice left an impression. I recall telling my brother this story some years later, and he started to laugh and reached in his back pocket, pulled out a well-worn scrap of paper from his wallet with the words, I quit, scrawled on it. He was looking forward to the day he'd be able to slide the gum wrapper of a resignation across a boss's desk and walk out the door. My brother's back pocket resignation felt like a gag, but the message that stuck with me felt more serious. Many years after volunteer firefighter training, I became a different type of volunteer for hospice. I didn't and don't think people should have to die alone. And so I have volunteered over the years at hospices on both coasts and I love it. I have talked politics with Korean War veterans, learned to make balloon animals because my patient was a professional clown, read poetry and devotionals to others, and sometimes I just sit quietly nearby. No matter what I've done for my patients, I assure you they give me way more than I could ever hope to give them. Perhaps no one more than Barbara. The truth is that I was very reluctant to take this assignment. Barbara was looking for a volunteer on Sunday afternoons when, I, when it was quiet around her apartment complex, and my weekends were precious. The volunteer coordinator, though, thought it would be great match. We were both educators for starters. Barbara was a thinker. And while her body was failing from MS and terminal breast cancer, her mind was really sharp, and she was eager to talk with someone. So I relented and agreed, and we met. Aside from the cat swatting me at, um, just minutes after I walked in the door, Barbara and I hit it off. We had some epic visits. Each week, we drank lattes I picked up on the way. Penny, the homicidal cat, would come out as soon as she heard my voice, and she would sit in my lap, purring. Barbara told me stories about growing up in Louisiana, raising kids in New Orleans, traveling despite having MS, and surviving devastating storms along the Gulf Coast. Hurricane Katrina had finally pushed her away. I'll never forget the impromptu Happy Divorce Day party she threw for me, complete with song and cake. And while I'm still a bit ashamed to admit it, she was thrilled, and I mean thrilled, when I showed up to one of our weekly visits looking green and feeling nauseous from a hangover. She was worried I wasn't getting out enough because I was spending too much of my free time hanging out with old, dying people. She wasn't even phased when I had to excuse myself three times before successfully puking. Barbara was rooting for me, and I was rooting for her to have a good death. For, from our very first meeting, Barbara said she was ready to die. And so when she lived longer than hospice's six-month life expectancy, we were all surprised. 
She was getting weaker and more dependent. Do you think I'm going to die soon? She asked me one Sunday. I wasn't quite sure what to say. Aside from most of her days in bed, she looked pretty good, and I told her so. She was more than ready to die than any person I had ever encountered over the years, and she was determined to die at home. If I have to go to a nursing home, I want to go to the worst place so I die faster. I thought she was joking. I'm serious, she said. Being put in an institution scared her more than death. So as she got worse, she used what money she had to pay for extra help. But her hospice home health aide, Anne, was her favorite person. Even she loved her more than me. And they had grown quite close. So one day I arrived with our lattes and Barbara was visibly upset. In the week since my last visit, Anne had been removed from Barbara's care team unannounced and was replaced. Tears streamed down Barbara's face as she described the treatment that she received from this new aide. From what Barbara described, she was awful. She made inappropriate comments about Barbara's cancerous breast, made rude comments about smells, and screwed up her face in disgust when changing her. I was mortified, I was sad, and I was angry. I had worked professionally with both the the director of spiritual care and the head of clinical care and had met the CEO. Plus, this was not the type of care that hospice prided itself on. So I was confident that leadership would be responsive. So I told Barbara we could not let this stand and it needed to be reported. But she begged me to stay quiet for fear that some sort of retaliation from the new aid might happen or that the higher-ups in the organization would take some action. She felt the possibility of being forced into a nursing home was looming because she had been in hospice for too long. It didn't feel right, but I decided to honor Barbara's wishes. Removing her beloved home health aid was a blow. But this inhumane treatment at the hands of the new aide felt like more than enough, and I didn't want to be another person who betrayed her. I was a volunteer for a reason, and that reason was to support the dying person. I did try to hint that something was wrong in my volunteer notes, but they were never taken up. Finally, one day, I convinced Barbara to at least let me help her write a letter to hospice's CEO and the director of clinical care, and she agreed but only if I sent the letter when she instructed me to. No sooner. Of course, I agreed. Just before Christmas, Barbara told me to send the letter. And I'm not sure why she picked this day, but I honored her wishes and I mailed off the complaint. While I was never mentioned in the correspondence, a few days later, my phone rang. I knew who it was, the head of clinical care. The tone of her voice told me my friend's message had been received. And as I stood in the living room that night being shouted out for not being on their side, I reached in my back pocket, confident with my decision to be on Barbara's side. 